and open it up with me to the book of Joshua. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8, not going to read the entire chapter, but we'll start in a moment in verse 1. Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1. Back in the 16th century, there was a war between two Italian city-states, Genoa and Venice. And in this war, there was a great naval battle that took place, and Genoa suffered a terrible defeat. Well, after the battle, one ship that survived made it back home. It was repaired. The admiral informed them that they would going right back from which they came. They were less than thrilled to hear that news. In fact, one of the officers dared to ask him why they would send them back to the very place where they had just been soundly beaten. And the admiral said to them, it was made famous by our defeat. I will make it immortal by our victory. Sometimes in our lives, God brings us back to a place of previous defeat. There was some area in your life in which you suffered loss. God sends you right back to that same place to fight that battle once again. Well, last week we studied in our series in Joshua the one battle that Israel lost in the battle in the book of Joshua. It's the battle of Ai. And as we saw, they didn't lose because they faced a better army. They didn't lose because they faced superior numbers. They lost because they were trusting in themselves instead of God. And they lost because of sin in the camp. Well, in our passage this morning, we have the rematch. God sends them back to face the very army that defeated them the first time. And this time, the place of Israel's defeat becomes the place of Israel's victory. In the Christian life, we fight continually against three foes, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But let me tell you, we are not going to win all of the battles. Maybe you're here this morning and you have suffered some loss in your life, some defeat, perhaps even recently. If so, I have good news for you. Your defeat does not have to define you and your failure doesn't have to be final. Just like Israel and Joshua chapter 8, you can pull victory from defeat and as we read this story, we're going to see some of the things that God does for us in order to make that possible. First of all, I want you to notice that God offers us a new beginning. God offers us a new beginning. A man named Alexander White once said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And I believe that's true. Notice what it says in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now, if this sounds familiar, there is a reason why. This is exactly what God told Joshua 
before the battle of Jericho. God said, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. God said, I've already given the city into your hand. God spoke of a battle in the past tense that had not even started yet. Now, God is using the same words as a way of showing them they're back at the same place where they once were. He is saying to them, I'm giving you a fresh start. I've forgiven you, and now I'm going to give you victory where you previously suffered defeat. God really is the God of second chances. We see this over and over again in the Word of God. We think about Mark, who during Paul's first missionary journey bailed. He quit on the team. We don't know why, but Paul wouldn't even let him come along the second time around. But you know what? God was not finished with Mark because he went on to write the Gospel of Mark. We think about Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus three times. And yet Peter was the man God used just weeks later at Pentecost. And he preached boldly, and 3,000 people were saved. We think about the story of Jonah and how God told him to go to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. He wound up in a whale of a mess. But then Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God gave him another chance. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samson, David. We could go on and on and on. All of these men... We consider heroes of the faith, and yet they suffered terrible losses. They suffered personal, deeply personal defeats, and yet every time God gave them another chance. Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. Listen to this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Bible says we get mercies every morning. They're new every morning because maybe yesterday you blew it. But today is a new day. And today God offers us a new beginning. I think about this story involving Babe Ruth, probably the best baseball player who ever played the game. But towards the end of his career, as he got older, he was like every other player. He wasn't the player he used to be. And one day towards the end, his team was playing against the Cincinnati Reds, and he had what may have been the worst game of his career. He struck out several times. He actually committed several errors, which resulted in five runs for the other team. It got so bad that the crowd actually began to boo Babe Ruth. Well, there was one little kid sitting on the front row, and Babe Ruth was his favorite player. And when he heard the crowd booing Babe Ruth, he couldn't stand it any longer. He jumped over that wall, ran out onto the field, ran to Babe Ruth, wrapped his arms around his legs, and gave him a great big hug. And all of a sudden, the crowd was absolutely silent. Babe Ruth picked up that little boy. 
carried him in his arms back to the dugout. I tell you this because maybe you struck out yesterday. Maybe you've committed a few errors today. And yet, even then, God loves you and embraces you, and he's willing to restore you. Yes, you messed up. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God can forgive you, listen, by God's grace, you can forgive yourself. And when you continue to beat yourself up over sin that God has already forgiven And when you allow that to keep you from doing what you know God wants you to do, you know what you're really doing? You are insulting the grace of God. So don't let yesterday's defeat take away from you today's victory. If you've genuinely confessed your sin, if you have sincerely repented of your sin, it is time to get up and go forward in Jesus' name. Because God offers us a new beginning. I want you to notice something else that God does for us in this story. God gives us a new assignment. God gives us a new assignment. God does not forgive and restore Joshua and the people just to then sit them on the bench. No, God has work for them to do. And he's going to send them right back to Ai. But I want you to notice as we read the story, some things that are different from what we read before the battle of Jericho. Look at verse 3. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say... They are fleeing us before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do, see, I have commanded you." You remember last week, the Bible says they only sent 3,000 men into battle. Well, this time, they sent all the men of war. If you can imagine the city of Ai right here in the middle, the Bible says Joshua took 30,000 men, and in the night, they went up and hid in ambush to the north. Joshua and the other soldiers came at the city from the south. We we read later on in the chapter that Joshua also had another ambush. He sent 5,000 men over here to the west in between the city of Ai and this other city named Bethel just in case Bethel decided that they wanted to jump in and help out Ai. Well, it turns out it's a good thing he did that. Because in verse 17, we see that's exactly what happened. 
but they were ready. So you have this elaborate plan that involved deception. It involved multiple ambushes. When the king of Ai saw Joshua and his men, sure enough, they chased after them, and Joshua pretended to be afraid. Apparently, he was a very good actor, he and his men, and they fled. And the people of Ai, all of the men chased them. The city was abandoned. It was left exposed. And that's when the 30,000 men from the north came down and attacked the city, burning it. When the king of Ai turned around and saw the smoke, it was too late. He was trapped between two armies, and there was nothing he could do. He didn't stand a chance. But I want you to notice how different this battle plan is from the battle of Jericho. You see, the battle of Jericho was out in the open. This time, God told him to set up an ambush. The battle of Jericho involved marching around the city. This time, it involved trickery. The battle of Jericho took place during the day. This began at night. The battle of Jericho, there was a miracle. God made the walls fall down, but there was no miracle in the battle of Ai. God just told them what to do. Now, there are some important lessons here for us. Primarily, God does not work the same way in every situation. Listen to me carefully, church. God is not a calculator where you just push the buttons and put in the numbers or say the right words and out comes the answer. God is a person and God is a God of great variety. A lot of people don't understand this. Sometimes we forget we think we must do what we have always done, whatever that is. Same program, same strategies. Well, no. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you can't help but notice that many times Jesus performed the same miracle, but he did it in different ways. Did you know that Jesus healed the blind in four different ways in the New Testament, something as simple as healing the blind, and Jesus seems to have done it differently every time he did it. Now, this is why every day we need to be in the Word of God, every day we need to hear from God, every day we need fresh instructions from the Lord because perhaps those instructions God gave you yesterday don't apply to the battles that you are going to fight today. This also means that we'd better be ready to change what we are doing if and when God leads. You've probably heard that the last seven words of a dying church We've never done it that way before. The principles of God's Word do not change. The message does not change. The gospel does not change. But the methods that we employ, yes, they can change. And the strategies that we use can change as well. Well, the majority of this 
chapter is the story of Israel doing exactly what Joshua said they would do in the verses which we have already read. But there's something I want you to notice. There's one thing for all of the differences between these two battles. There's one thing that was the same. They were to completely destroy the city. And I bring this up and I want to remind you that this was not a slaughter of the innocent. This was God judging the guilty. In fact, this was such an evil place. Let me remind you, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 12 that they literally sacrificed their sons and their daughters in the fire to the idol, the false god Molech. As a father, I can't even imagine. Now you might ask, well, at some point, could the people have repented? Well, sure. Hypothetically, if they had done so, would they have been saved? Absolutely. But the point is, they refused to do so. And because God was dealing with absolute evil, God removed them from the face of the earth like removing cancer from a body. We need to understand that the same God, who is the God of second chances, is a holy God. And he says in Genesis 6, my spirit will not strive with men forever. It is God's nature to pardon sin. It is also God's nature to judge sin. And listen, there is no conflict between the two. Now, this leads us to a third thing I want to spend most of my time talking about this third thing that God does to pull victory from defeat. God offers us a new beginning. God gives us a new assignment. But listen, God presents us with the same choice. God presents us with the same choice. After the battle of Ai, something very interesting took place. Skip down and look with me at verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel and Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the stranger, as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. 
30 miles north of Ai, there is this valley. We call it the Valley of Shechem. And on either side of this valley, you can go there and visit today if you happen to get the chance to go to Israel. On either side of this valley, you have two mountains. On one side, you have Mount Ebal. And on the other side, you have Mount Gerizim. The Bible says that Joshua led all of Israel to this very valley. And I want you to notice what he did when he got there. The Bible says that on top of Mount Ebal, he built an altar made of stones that iron had never touched. This altar, these stones big enough so that he could literally engrave the entire law of God upon them. And on this altar, he offered sacrifices. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But I want you to notice that in verse 31, the Bible says that Joshua did this because Moses had commanded them, as was written in the book of the law. Now, if you want to read this later, we're not going to turn there now, but if you want to read more about this later, it is in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God told them, once you enter the promised land, you're going to come to this place, and this is what I want you to do. God told them to do this before they even had crossed the Jordan River. God told them, I want you to go there, and then I want you to separate into two groups, split right down the middle. Half of the Israelites were on the side of Mount Ebal. Half of the Israelites were on the side of Mount Gerizim. And there Joshua stood in the middle of that valley, which was kind of like a natural amphitheater. I mean, it was the perfect place for this. And standing there in that valley, Joshua read all of the law that God had given to Moses. And the Bible specifically says that he read a list of blessings and cursings. For example, he would say to the people, cursed will you be if you do blank. And he would say, blessed you shall be when you do blank. And every time they read, or Joshua read, from one of the cursings, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 27, that all of the people on the Mount Ebal side of the valley, they shouted, Amen. And then when Joshua read the blessings from the law, all of the people on the Mount Gerizim side of the valley, they shouted, Amen. Well, I have an idea. Let's just pretend that this center aisle is the valley of Shechem. Somebody gets to be the Mount Gerizim side, the side of the blessings. And so to you on my right, congratulations. But alas, someone has to be 
on the Mount Ebal side, the side of the cursings. Sorry, those of you on my left, my condolences, tag your it. Now, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 27 that they began with the cursings. Now, I'm not going to read all of the cursings or else we'd be here for a long time. But I'm going to read some of them, and we're going to act this out exactly the way they did it in Joshua chapter 8. And remember, the Bible says after each and every one of the cursings, the people on the Mount Ebal side all responded by saying amen. So, team Ebal, <laughs> Ebal people, are you ready? All right. Here are just some of the cursings that Joshua read. Cursed is the one who makes a graven image. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. Cursed is the one who perverts judgment for the immigrant, the fatherless, or the widow. Cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt. I like that one. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Oh, church, listen to this one. Cursed is the one who does not observe all of the words of the law. Then Joshua read the blessings. Mount Gerizim, are you ready? Once again, I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to read just some, a few examples of the blessings that Joshua read to the people. Blessed are you who obey the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will bless you in your storehouses. The Lord will bless you in the land. The Lord will establish you. The Lord will make the heavens rain upon you. Your enemies will fear you. You will be the head and not the tail. I notice you guys are enjoying this a whole lot more than those guys over there. I can tell. You're... (laughs) Well, all of this was very meaningful, and this was also very, very symbolic. God was teaching them some things. He was teaching them, for one, that in principle... Blessings, or or obedience leads to blessings, and disobedience leads to cursings. That's still true today. And listen, I understand America is not the United States. And yet even today, even in our own nation, to the extent that we obey God's word and heed what it says, we will be blessed. And to the extent that we do not heed what God's word says, we will be cursed. That's still true today. 
And that is such an important lesson. But unfortunately, most people will read this story and they stop right there. Folks, that's just scratching the surface of what God was teaching them. He was also showing them that ultimately there are just two sides. You're going to be on one or the other. You're going to wind up on the side of the blessings or the side of the cursings. Oh, but there's more. Did you notice back when I read verse 30 that Joshua built the altar on which he literally engraved the entire law of God? And where was that altar? Where was it placed? Oh, surely the law of God, which is holy and good, surely God's law is on the Mount Gerizim side, right? The side of the blessings, certainly, right? No. The Bible says that the law was put on Mount Ebal. And you ask, well, well, why would the law be put on the site of the cursings? I'll tell you why. Because God knew that we would all be lawbreakers. He knew that we would all fail to do You remember that last one, Mount Ebal? Everything the law of God said. And therefore, we would be under the curse. We would be under the condemnation of the law. In fact, as Joshua was reading all of those cursings, the people on the Mount Ebal side, all they had to do was look up and they could literally see with their eyes the law of God up above them, both literally but spiritually as well. They could look up and they were reminded how they were under the law which they had broken. And you know what? I hate to break it to you, Mount Gerizim people. I hate to burst your bubble. Truth is, we all start out on the Mount Ebal side. We all start out on the Mount Ebal side. And because we all start out there, because the punishment for sin, for breaking the law, is death, because the wages of sin is death, here is what we need. We need someone who has not broken the law, who will then take that curse upon himself in our place. That's what we need. And so notice what happens. These stones on which the law of God was written, they were a what? They were an altar. And on that altar... There was a sacrifice on that altar. Blood was shed. Can you imagine? I mean, literally, blood from that sacrifice dripping down and covering up the law of God engraved upon those stones. Well, you see, that sacrifice was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that God promised to provide for us one day. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Folks, he was from the Mount Gerizim side. He never broke God's law. But he came from heaven to earth. He came to us. He came to the Mount Ebal side where we were. 
And even though he deserved blessings, he came and he was sacrificed on the altar of the cross. He died in the place of lawbreakers so that instead of us being under the law, we can now be under grace. Now, there is a sense in which this valley of Shechem is also what I call the valley of decision. Because God is asking the entire human race, which will it be? Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim? Which one? Mount Ebal represents separation from God. Mount Ebal represents hell. Mount Ebal represents judgment. Mount Ebal represents suffering and misery and guilt and shame. But Mount Gerizim represents forgiveness. It represents salvation. It represents eternity in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's Mount Gerizim, and the choice is yours. You ask, well, how do I make that choice? I've broken God's law. I'm already on the Mount Ebal side. How do I cross over? Well, let me remind you of another story. Many years later, Jesus visited that same valley. And do you remember what he did there? He met a woman at a well. You want to talk about someone who had experienced defeat in her life. Jesus said that she had been married and divorced five times and was currently living with a man who was not her husband. But Jesus went to that same valley. He stood in that place in between those very mountains. And he said to that woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, ask of me and I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. And he said, the water that I give to you will spring up in you a well of eternal life. He said, ask. Just ask for it. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Ask him to be Lord of your life. Ask him to make you a new creation. And he'll do it. But the choice is yours. The Bible says in Joel 3, 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Haven't yet decided the most important decision of your life. What are you going to do with Christ? How are you going to respond to the gospel? Will you accept him? Will you reject him? Will you receive the eternal life and the forgiveness that he is offering you today through his own death, burial, and resurrection? Maybe this morning you are hanging out in the valley of decision. Maybe someone you know, maybe a friend or a family member or a coworker or fellow student is hanging out in that valley of decision. But you can't stay there. Because the rest of that verse says the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The choice is yours.
what will you do? Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you really are the God of new beginnings. Though as your children we fail you so many times and we suffer defeat so often and yet you still love us. You're still there ready and willing to forgive us and not just that but to restore us and to use us to put us to work to give us a new assignment to give us a mission so we can keep on serving you god how we thank you for that father we know that maybe there's some here today who right now they're still in that valley of decision they haven't decided what they're going to do or how they're going to respond to the gospel, what they're going to do with Jesus. And we know, Lord, that all of us, we belong over there on Mount Ebal. We've all broken your law. We've all done things we know we should not have done. We know that your word told us not to do, and we did it anyway. God, we have rebelled against you. We thank you that even though we were over there on Mount Ebal, you sent Jesus from heaven to earth that he lived a perfect life, that he never broke the law, but he was willing to take the curse of the law on himself. We thank you that he died for us, for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day. And now he's offering living water, eternal life, to anyone who will believe and ask and receive. So God, I want to pray especially for those who are right now in that valley of decision, God, I plead with you that you would bang on the door of their heart, that this would be their day of salvation, that they would call on you and ask you even now to forgive them and save them and ask Jesus to be Lord of their lives. And so we look forward to what you're going to do in these next moments. And God, I pray for Every Christian brother, every Christian sister who may be right now, I mean, they're down. They've, they've fallen, and it's time to get back up. It's time for them to receive the forgiveness, to receive the restoration, and to receive that new beginning that you're offering to them and get back to the work, get back to doing what you've called them to do. I pray for them as well. And I pray that they would not wait or delay, that they would not allow yesterday's defeats to keep them from doing what you are calling them to do today and right now. And so, God, would you you show us that area of confession that needs to take place? Would you show us, Lord, if there's some area of of repentance that needs to take place in us? And, God, for those who are here today who are still in that valley of decision, oh, how I pray that this would be that day, that moment, they'd make the most important decision of their life, that choice to follow Jesus Christ. And, God, will give you all of the thanks and all of the praise and all the glory 